We're so excited that you're here today because God is here with us. We're going to give him all the praise and all the glory this morning.
glad to have you here worshiping with us today. God loves us and he forgave his son so that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are his and that he is ours as we sing this next song.
God, you are worthy of our worship this morning, and we come to you just being thrilled by your love. It is amazing, Lord, how the grace that you give us each and every day to walk this journey that you've given us, Lord God, and how you are the one that is going before us, preparing everything that is laid out for the job that you've called us to do, and I'm so glad that you are already there. Your grace is amazing, Lord God, and we praise you this morning as we lift our voices.
be seated, please, as we continue. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you, if you'll be so kind to take out one of those little black folders and uh, put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting near you. We appreciate you doing that each week for us. Thanks a lot. When you came in church today, or actually I think it was last week also, there was this, there's this big box out there in the foyer of the church. You come in, it's on the right. And uh, we're collecting books for the Philippines. Uh, primarily what we'd like to have is some children's books. And so go home and look through your archives, places you haven't looked before, and uh, bring in those children's books so that we can get them packaged up and send them over to the Philippines. Uh, they can enjoy them, uh, re-enjoy them over there. We'll appreciate that. Let's see, we have some cards to pass out. Uh, Sean uh, and... We need a couple guys up here in the front. Uh, we have some boxes of cards. And so put one box over on this side, Sean, and uh, then two boxes in the center and one box over there. We're going to pass these boxes back through the congregation. Take two of these little cards. These are business cards, which uh, Ju Julie over here designed. Thank you, Julie. And uh, I want you to keep them, use them as an opportunity to invite people to the services of the church or... Uh, to listen to our radio program. Church services on one side, radio programs on the other side. Two cards apiece, please. And uh, we have so many people in our church that were, first of all, acquainted with our church through the radio program. Uh, I'm just thinking about uh, Rick, countryman, right down here in the front. Raise your hand, Rick. Rick said he was driving down the road one day and he heard, uh, heard the program and uh, came up here soon after that and he and his whole family, some of his kids got saved, his whole family come to church now. And so uh, it's amazing, uh, people listen to the radio, 9.30 in the Sunday morning, 7.30 Sunday evening, share that program with other people. And there's sure a lot of people out there, they're looking uh, for a church that teaches the Bible, a church where they can have fellowship, a church they can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So you enjoy uh, keeping these and bring them out at the appropriate time. Also, uh, we have our prayer emphasis forms in the courier today. Take advantage of these. We have quite a stack. You know, people have so many needs today. It's amazing. Physical, spiritual, all sorts of things. When you fill out this form and you turn it in, we do pray over it. Our people who come on Wednesday night pray over these forms. Uh, then we have a men's prayer meeting that meets on Thursday here in the morning. They take these forms and they pray over them also. So uh, utilize that and uh, we uh, thank you for trusting us uh, with these requests. And uh, we try to be faithful to pray for them. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you for being faithful to the church and your giving. This is the time of the year that we just really need an outpouring of financial love for the church. The bills are, as you would imagine, astronomical. We, this place runs 
seven days a week up here on this hill. Anytime you come up here, there's cars in the parking lot. People in the community use this building for certain things. Our preschool runs all the time. So uh, let's do our very best this morning as we give to the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can be here in your church. We thank you for providing a living for us, uh, strength to go to work, uh, a mind to think at work, and now we come back to provide for your church. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
stand with us one last time before the pastor comes this morning? And um, I love singing about the greatness of our God. I don't know where we'd be without the Lord. I don't know where I'd be without the Lord. And just to sing praises back to him and lift our voices. He loves the sweet sound of his people praising his name. Let's sing this morning. Give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold still my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. For you, my God, are great.
worshiping our God. Some exciting themes this morning. Great to hear you sing praise to our Lord. Today, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, we're going to be looking at the scripture there this morning. But uh, before we get started, I'd like to just challenge you with this thought. You know, I think sometimes we get going into our life and we get, get off the track so to speak, because we start looking to other people for our value. Where do you get your value from? Do you get your value because somebody else said that you've done well? Do you get your value because your boss said that you've performed well at your, at your work? Do you get your value because your wife was smiling today? Uh, do you get your value because, uh, just because of other people's approval? Maybe even inside the church we can get our value because, well, I went to church every week and I, I check off all, all these lists. And I have these things that are outward conformity that I put up, and it's like, if I can attain to these, if I make this person happy over here, I'm happy. Or if this person over here, if I, if I do this, even my own self-set bar that I'm trying to raise in my life, if I've attained that, then I'm happy, then I have value. Well, I want to look at the scripture this morning and see what does God say about our value. Where do, where do we really get our value from? And, uh, and how can we remedy that? Because that's an area that I struggle with. I think that most people struggle with that, is that we rely on other people for our value system. And really, God has a value system that's completely different than what my value system is. So let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you, who he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, and in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. First in our notes this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to this thought that the depth of God's grace saves us from our past. The depth of God's grace saves us from our past. Uh, Paul here gives some, some pretty heavy terminology. He says, you were once dead. Now you're alive. You have been made alive. You were once dead. And the idea here is that spiritually we were dead in our sins. It says that you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. Uh, our rebellion against God and the actual sin that we were involved in doing. This was not necessarily a physical description. This, you know, he's not saying that you were dead and you came back to life. He's talking about a spiritual description. Spiritually, you were dead in your sin. And I want you to consider the analogy that Paul is giving us here. It's like a corpse. A corpse is insensible. A corpse cannot respond. Uh, it does not hear. It has no feelings. Uh, the corpse cannot respond to the great things around it. The sound of music the voice of a friend, even an alarm clock, cannot wake a corpse. My wife says that's what I am most mornings when the alarm clock goes off. Like a corpse, it doesn't arise me. Uh, the sound of music, uh, all these things, the smell of a beautiful flower does not get a reaction from a corpse. The world is moving at a fast pace all around us. And yet, even the beauty of the stars, a stream, a running stream does not provoke a response to a corpse. And this is what we are seeing that we once were. We were once dead in our sin. Dead. No response to the things of Christ. 
Um, the things of God provoke no response in us. A spiritually dead person does not see the beauty in the things of God. They are finding their things in their beauty in other things. They're finding their, their joy in other things. He does not hear the call of God. A dead person does not hear the call of God. Why? Because he's dead in his trespasses and his sins. And so as we look this morning about in our life, many times we look in the wrong places for our well-being. We're looking to, to things that are temporary for our well-being. And God says that I am come to make you alive. I am, I am rising the dead. He has risen us spiritually. We are spiritually no longer dead. Now, Paul brings his attention to the believers. He's talking, to, he's saying to you, he says to you, the believers at Ephesus. Uh, this was the Gentile believers. At one point, they were dead in their sins. At one point, we all were dead in our sins. And he goes on in verse 3. In verse 3, he changes. He says, we also. He includes the Jews says, listen, we also were included in this. In other words, he's bringing, bringing this in that everybody, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether it was the people that tried to, tried to keep the law or the people that didn't even know about the law, all of these people were under the fallen nature. We were all dead. Paul was at one time dead in his sin. And now, even though he was a Pharisee and he tried to live the good life, he had all the check marks. He says that we, he was part of this. He was dead in his sin at one point as well. And it says once you were, this is a past tense. It's talking past tense. One time. There was a time in your life that you were dead in your sin. And I want you to think about that because this morning I believe that a lot of people, they get, they get tripped up because they look at their past. And they say, well, this happened to me whenever I was 15 years old. This happened whenever I was 25. And, and we go back and we look at our past and we allow our past to trip us up. He says here that, it, that they were following the, the pattern of the world, following the world's pattern, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the enemy. That's Satan. Jesus refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air over in John 12, 31. And so here we see Paul is telling us, he says, listen, you are following the ways of Satan. You were dead in your sin. You, God is the one who came and made you alive. This was your past. In days gone by, we were under the power and the passion of sin. And this is not to say that you acted out every perverse sin. This doesn't mean that, okay, you were as bad as you possibly could have been, uh, that you had done all these, these acts that, that, were, that were horrible. Yes, you have done a lot of acts, but there's also the acts of the mind. And uh, the Apostle Paul draws attention to that there. He says, of, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the, uh, lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see, what are the sins of the mind? Pride, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. Those are things. That's what the Jews dealt with. They were very prideful people. They had all the check marks. They kept all the law. He says, not just the acts that you are thinking are so bad, but also the acts that you can't even see. This was why Jesus came to die on the cross. He came to pay for all those sins, to liberate you. Now think about this. We often think about being liberated from, from, uh, from the, big, the big stuff out there, right? From addictions and all sorts of things. But wouldn't it be exciting to see God liberate us from pride? See God liberate people from selfish ambition. Those are the exciting things as well. And the Apostle Paul says that that is where we all once were. 
We have all fallen short of the glory of God over in Romans 3.23. The wages of our sin is death. If we get what we deserve, we are separated from God forever and ever in a real place called hell, the Bible says. But God came and he saw. He saw that you were dead. And it's simply amazing. Simply amazing that God saved us from our past. Paul further states that you are not alone. This is a condition that every human being has had to deal with. Um, we are all born into the world with sin nature, and we all are slaves to the sin. We are all rebels at one point. But this brings up a good path, a, a good p- point here this morning. It's your past. And I want to remind you something about your past. Your past is past. Okay? Would you say that with me? Your past is past. Now, let's, let's try that again. Your past is past. I think that we have got to come to this realization that Jesus died on the cross to liberate me from my past. From whatever it is that happened in yesterday, I cannot be held to yesterday because Jesus died on the cross and he paid for that. Amen? Our God has freed me from every mistake that I've ever made and also from every mistake that I ever will make. And so God has made us alive. Your past is your past. Sometimes I hear people tell me what their past was like. They'll say, boy, I was in a lonely state. It was just so lonely. I, I, I had no direction in my life. And you know what? that's what happens when we don't have the light on of God in our life. When we haven't been made alive. We're like the corpse. We're laying there. You know, this morning you came in and you heard these praise songs and you could sense there was some worship happening in our church this morning. People responding to the Almighty God that, yes, His grace is enough. Yes, He loves us. But there was a time in your life that you first heard some of those and you didn't necessarily respond because you were dead at that point, dead, spiritually dead. God is the one who makes us alive. And as far as our past goes, do you realize that Satan is the one who keeps coming at us and he keeps accusing you and bringing up your past to you? God doesn't need to bring up your past failures because he died for them. He says our sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. So when, whenever that comes up, that's the enemy coming at you. Over in Revelation 12.10, scriptures tell us this, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. And then we'll pick up the verse here and let's read this together. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. God says here that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In other words, Satan is the accuser of the believer. He comes and he falsely accuses you. That's whenever you're trying to make some forward motion in your life and you're trying to do something for God and you have that thought, hmm, how can you be successful in your Christian life? Don't you remember when you had that problem? How about over here? Uh, You failed God over here. Peter denied the Lord and was still used mightily by God on the day of Pentecost. This is an exciting thing. We don't have to listen to the enemy. We have to listen to to what God says. Our past is past. It's simply amazing that His grace rescues us from our past. Number two this morning in your notes, God's grace has raised us to new heights, changing our future. God's grace has raised us to new heights, changing our future. 
We'll pick up in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I am so thankful this morning for verses like verse 4. You hear all the, the terrible condition that we were in? But God. But God had a plan. But God had a, a mind. But God came and he was seeking you. He is rich in mercy. What, what do we think of when we think of somebody who's rich? Think of a lot of money, right? We think of big houses, big land. We think of all these things. and We, we think of an abundance of money. Um, you say, you know, um, if, if I were rich, I would do this, right? You would think of all the abundance that you would have. Well, that's what the, the, the author here, what Paul's telling us. He's saying God is rich in mercy. He has an abundance of mercy. There's nothing that you can do that God doesn't have enough mercy to cover. Isn't that exciting? Nothing of your past, nothing that you can do will ever separate you from the love of God. And his mercy is rich. And his mercy is, the, is where it comes from. Even when we were dead, the Bible says that he was coming to rescue us. It is God who's, who came to us, who made us alive. We didn't just all of a sudden come, come to life because I had a, a great moment. I didn't come to life. You're not, you're not excited to worship the Lord because it was something that was in you, that you, you have this desire more than somebody else. No, God made you alive. And this is where we have to remember, this is the grace of God. God is the one who came and he made you alive. Look at Romans 5.8 there. Um, Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us, his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And while we were still dead, he came and he rescued us. He is the one who came and breathed new life into us. Sound familiar? Last week we looked at Lazarus when the pastor was sharing with us about Lazarus. The compassion uh, that Jesus had upon Je on Lazarus. Jesus wept. Today I believe that Jesus still has that compassion for spiritually dead people. His heart is heavy. God, the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he came, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. His heart is heavy for those that have not been awakened yet spiritually. And he is seeking. And he's giving us all the opportunity to come alive in him. And so we are, that's where we come in. We're praying for our friends. We're praying for others. We're trying to bring them to Christ. But look at the exciting part in the scripture. It says that we have been made alive together with Christ. That's exciting. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sin. When he arose, he conquered death and he made us alive. But, his, but, but because of his resurrection, we have a spiritual resurrection as well. He made us alive. He had a literal resurrection. And look, he says that we were spiritually dead. We have a spiritual resurrection. So Jesus has gone to heaven and he is there already, and he is waiting for us. It's, it's kind of like he's our representative there. 
and we get to sit with him. Notice the scripture there tells us that we are seated, that we get to be seated with him. We get to sit with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, if you, you ever hear somebody say, I, I hope I get to heaven? I think you probably have. Sometimes you hear somebody say, well, yeah, I, I hope I get there. Uh, you get to respond and tell people, I know I'm going to heaven. And furthermore, I get to sit with Jesus. Now, isn't that, that's a whole, whole other thought. I get to sit with Jesus in heavenly places. I studied out the word sit. And I found out that the word sit means to sit. It's pretty simple. You came in, you're sitting. And what happens when we sit with somebody? We have fellowship. We get to relax. I'm in your presence. And that's what happens for you and for me when we stand before our Lord. One day we will get to sit in his presence. Face to face I will come in and sit in his presence. I will be able to sit with Jesus. That means not only do I get to sit with him, I get to share in his honor. I look at Romans 8, 17. Let's read this together. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Look at what it says here. It says that you are the children of God and you are co-heirs with Christ. That's, that's a pretty important place to be. You are the co-heir with Christ. You get to sit with Jesus. And it's not something that you have to wait until you get to heaven to do. You get to sit with him now. You get to enjoy that ex experience of fellowship with Christ now. You have the ability to go into the throne room of God every day and to sit down and have a conversation with the Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and yet, so many times, we take that for granted. Because, well, you know, we have, we have, it's just part of our life. But God says that you get to sit with him. You get to have that experience now and in eternity. He has saved our future. He's changed your future because we were once destined for hell. And now the Bible says that we are destined for heaven if you've accepted him as your savior. Now you get to sit with him in heavenly places. That's an exciting thought. His amazing grace has changed our future. Look at, look at Ephesians 2, 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This isn't something that is going to fade. Your, your inheritance isn't something that's going to fade. The fact that you get to sit with Jesus is not something that's going to fade. You, God has changed your life. He has made you alive, and you will be alive with him. It does not fade. It senses, the, the verse here also gives the sense that others are watching us. That, that God will use us, that you're a trophy of his grace. You really are. You're a trophy of the grace of God. So you've come to the Lord, you've had your life transformed, and now others will see you, and they will glorify the Father. Let's look at uh, Ephesians 2, 7 on the screen here. This is from another translation. I thought it was just so well, so well put. It says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus and that's that is really exciting this is why you were saved so God has allowed you to come unto him he gives you a home in heaven 
But even now, he says that you are his example of his grace. Number three in your notes, this grace is an action of God. How does this happen? How do we get this? And this is a great verse here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I memorized it as a child. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul had been a Pharisee before he came to Christ. We all know, uh, he, he, he knew all about the law. And, uh, and Paul, for Paul, it was kind of a way of self-help, if you will. He came and he helped himself out by, I'm going to, I can do this, I can do this. And he had all the check marks. He did all the outward conformity of the law. But the, 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 the issue here was that the law was never able to save anybody. The law was there to show you, show you your need of the Savior. So Paul had come along and he had given his life as a Pharisee. He was excelling as a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, he persecuted the Christians. And then God comes and transforms his life. And now, with his life being transformed, he sees this great evidence of grace in his life. And if you go through and you look through Paul's teaching, there's a big contrast between law and grace in the Scripture, in, in, in Paul's teaching. He talks about law, talks about grace. He talks about law, talks about grace. And he shows that this grace is unmerited favor from God. It is unmerited favor. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We, uh, the, the faith is, uh, the, this gift is appropriated through faith. That, we reach out and we simply trust our Savior. But God is the one in His grace. He gives this gift to you. The word grace has become synonymous today with unmerited favor. And that's what we think about in the Christian world. Unmerited favor giving us salvation. And uh, this, to express this, the New Testament writers used a, a Greek word, and it was known as charis. You've heard that word before, right? Which had a long previous history in secular Greek. Related to the word for joy and, or pleasure, charis originally referred to something delightful or attractive in a person, something uh, which brought pleasure to others. From this, it came to have the idea of favor or kindness done to another, or of a gift which brought pleasure to another. So in other words, God's gift was unmerited favor. That's how we got, that's how we were able to receive this gift, through God's unmerited favor. And as we think about that this morning, m many of you know that I named my firstborn child, Carice. She's somewhere around here today. And uh, Carice, we, we named her because, uh, because of this meaning, God's gift. I had a professor up at Word of Life Bible Institute, Dr. Tom Davis, and uh, he, he, was, he was a the professor of theology, and he had talked about when he went to Israel, he was studying in Israel, and uh, he was trying to explain to us that in the Hebrew culture, they didn't just name people because it sounded good, they named people because it had a meaning. So, and you see that a lot in the Old Testament, and he was telling us about when his daughter was born that... They named, he was living in Israel at, the point, at that point, and he was into the Hebrew culture, and they named his daughter Ashley, which translated over into Hebrew, sour cream. And uh, a lot of the people couldn't understand, why would you name your daughter sour cream? So I always had that in my mind, why to name my children? And, and uh, it, it, it took my father-in-law a little bit to understand what Carice was, okay? And, uh, and he came along after a few, few, few visits. But uh, 
we, we have now, we named her Carice because it means God's gift, unmerited favor. I named my second daughter Kara because that comes from the Greek word meaning for joy. So we have grace and joy in our house. Now it's not always graceful and joyful, okay? <laughs> but that's the idea. That's what we're trying to do. Um, but, but think with me this morning. Grace. This is God's unmerited favor. No one can boast. When we get to heaven, nobody will be able to say, you know what, I helped 40 little old ladies across the street every week. Nobody will be able to say, I went to seminary. I went to church more than the church was open. I have friends in, my, in our community that go to other churches that are open every day. And some of them have told me that. Well, I go every morning. I said, wow. I work there and I don't want to go every morning. So no, I'm just kidding. But he, he was like, wow. And they, they have all these check marks. And they put all the check marks off. And it was like they had a place. And they were filling. We won't get, when we get to heaven, we won't be able to do that. No one can boast when we stand before God. Because it is his grace. It is his gift. It is his unmerited favor. This is an acrostic that I'm sure many are familiar with. Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great way to remember what God's grace is in your life. It is God's riches. You get to be seated in the heavenly places with the Lord. You get to sit in His presence. God's riches. You are co-heirs with Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. That grace was not cheap. It is free to you, but the price was paid on the cross. When Jesus came, he died on the cross, and he paid for your sin. This is what grace is. As a child, I memorized verses, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I had those memorized. I'm sure many of you that were in those classes with me, we, that's what we did. We memorized those classes and, uh, and, and memorized those verses. I'm, I'll never forget Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But it took me a long time before I really understood verse 10. And, you know, the Bible has, a, it's kind of an interesting thing. When you're reading the Bible, you should always read it in context. You know, what, what, what is he trying to say here? Sometimes you can pull out a verse, you know, uh, you know and, just, and, and, and you can really get, really ruin things by pulling one verse out and not looking at the whole passage. So let's look at what the next verse says here, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Number four in your notes, you are God's masterpiece. He is transforming your present life. You are God's masterpiece. The word here for masterpiece, the, the word here for workmanship is also translated as masterpiece. Here's a, another translation of that on Ephesians 2.10. Let's read this aloud together. For we... Are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. The word used here for masterpiece is really the word from where we get the word poem or a work of art. Okay? So think of yourself as God's work of art. Um, God is the one who is, is the artist. He's the one who is writing, uh, writing the poem. He's the one who's making this work of art. And so as you see on the screen there, the, the potter and the clay, 
and you think of how that, how that the potter is the artist. He's, God is the master artist. God has taken your life, and sometimes you look at your life, and it's just that old lump of clay that you throw down on the will. But God is the one who is, who is doing the work. God is the one who says, I know what I'm trying to express in your life. I know what the end product is going to look like. This is the idea that a poem has. It's, it's, uh, it's the conception that the singers, of the singer's intellect, of the singer's thoughts. So a believer in Christ owes his character and standing to God. You are the work of God. We are his work. We are his masterpiece. Psalm 138 tells us this. It says that the Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. I am the masterpiece of God. You are the masterpiece of God. And he did this. He, it is his work that he has created so that you will go and do the good things that he has called you to do. Good things don't get you into heaven. There's no, nothing about a good work that will ever get you into heaven. But God has saved you and given you this new life so that you will go out and do his work. So that you will do the good that God has called you to do. That is the very purpose that we are his masterpiece. Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a shapeless rock. He replied, I am liberating an angel from this stone. And that's exactly what God is doing with us. We are in the hands of the great maker, the great artist, the God of the universe is taking. And at times, you may feel the chiseling effect on your life. At times, you may feel, feel the pain. But God is the artist. Think of when the artist has a, has a palette of paint, and he takes his fingers, and he puts some paint here, a blob there. He takes another color, puts a blob there. Takes another color, puts a blob over there. And at first, you, you wonder, what is this artist doing? And you look at it and you say, that is really ugly. And he takes it and he works all through there and he pulls this all together and he pulls all these colors together and in, in the end you see this beautiful masterpiece. This is what God is doing in my life. This is what God is doing in your life. He is the master artist and he is pulling this all together. And you say, well, I remember this thing over there in my past. God says, no, no, no. I liberated you from your past. I'm the artist. Yeah, it's there. It's gone. I'm pulling this picture together. Uh, you say, well, what about this pain I'm going through right now? God says, listen, I'm the artist. I'm pulling this all together because I have a work for you in your life to do. God isn't finished with us yet. God has the plans. God will work out the plans for my life. I read a story one time about a man who lived in a tiny apartment and he died in, in extreme poverty. At one point in his life, he had been homeless even, and he lived on the streets. And the man never, never really had anything, any successes to speak of. He was just a kind of a simple, common guy. He lived and died as just another face in a crowd. Just a small, feeble little apartment. And after the funeral, a few of his family members came over to his place and they gathered the, the little bit of belongings that he had. And uh, among them was a painting on the wall. And, and they said, well, there's no value here. We'll just have a little garage sale. 
And they took all the little things that he had, including that painting, and they sold them at the garage sale. And then a lady came along and bought the picture. She thought the picture was very nice. She took the picture to get an art appraisal, found out that it was extremely value, valuable. She ended up selling it at an auction in the upwards of the millions. She found it at a garage sale. This guy was a millionaire. He had the value on his wall. Didn't even know it. And that is what happens to you and I. That's what happens to me. I stand here before the Lord, and I am valuable, but I look and I, I forget my value in Him. I ignore my value. And I go and I say, well, I, need, I can do this better over here in my life. And I put all these things up. doesn't mean that we don't continue to work hard. It means that, listen, you are God's masterpiece. God has gifts. God has gifted each one of you according to his purposes. Isn't that exciting? You have a, there's a plan that was laid before the foundation of the world. And God says, I want you in the year 2014 to do what I've called you to do. But he's the master artist. And sometimes I get looking over here and I ignore the value of my life. I ignore the value of what God is doing in me. God says that you are his masterpiece. Let's not look to others. Let's not look to other, other conformity, looking to, to how I can change to, to make myself feel better. Come to the Lord and allow the thought, allow the reality that you are God's masterpiece to transform your life. Because he has saved you from your past. He has given you a new future. And he's transforming your life in the present. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, and just like to ask you to think for a few moments about God's word this morning here. God wants to transform your life. You are the masterpiece of God. Maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and you've never opened your heart to the things of God. You're spiritually dead. God's calling you this morning. He wants to make you alive. He wants to awaken that part of your life and allow you to be able to respond to the things of God. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to just reach out by faith like the Apostle Paul told us in this passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Simple, childlike faith. Reach out and Trust him this morning, that he died on the cross for you, that he paid for your sin. You can pray a prayer quietly like this to the Lord. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I've offended you, Lord. But you, you love me. And in spite of my sin, you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose from the dead. And I invite you into my life now. For others in here, maybe you have not been living like you're a masterpiece of God. You've been putting self-imposed stress on your life. Maybe you're dealing with stress from those around you. God says that you are his masterpiece.
What would your life be like if you really lived like the masterpiece of God? How would your life be different understanding that God is the one doing all this work in your life? Father God, I pray that you'll be with each person. Help them as they leave this place, as they make a commitment and begin to respond to the fact that you are at work in their life, that you have a plan, Lord, for our church, a church filled with the masterpieces of God, that we would be radiant to the community, that people all around will want to follow our God because we are following the plan that you have for us. You have set out good things for us to do. And we thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ken, for that good message. I'll tell you what, I need to hear that about once a week. Uh, the world tries to warp our image and we mess it up too. And uh, God says, listen, you're okay. I'm making you. Just hang on for the ride. Uh, use these. Uh, that message, uh, every message from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock uh, is on the internet live, but uh, it's downloaded eventually by about 3 o'clock. So you can get that message. You want to go back and say, did he really say that? You can check him out about 3 o'clock. Spread the, uh, spread the uh, website around. Use these cards. Uh, Wednesday evening, uh, we have a Bible study for men and a Bible study for ladies, 6.30 to 7.30. So, fellows, the ladies, come on out and enjoy the time. It's a good time of fellowship, and uh, I think it'll be a good help to you. Let's stand together, please. Uh, turn around and shake hands with your friends today. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>